0: So just, as, as you're regathering, just, just gather round the tables in little groups and, ju- and just just complete that sentence. Just take a, take a couple of minutes, just bash some ideas off each other and then we'll just uh, hear what everyone says. If God made me an, or us, me and or us, then finish, finish the sentence Okay, just take sort of, three, four minutes doing that just to fire out and what, maybe one person on the table just scribble down as many as you can get as many answers as you get. I'm just uh, call you to now, you're not going to finish your list there obviously but it's just to get an idea and see that actually it's a great thing to do with biblical promises and biblical statements to go if then even just to say if God then what because a whole lot of things follow from that so I'm just going to round the tables and we'll just keep going until we run out of things so just one, just one word, one, one at a time. No, we don't want a whole list on another So if God created us, then we can believe His truth, not our own. And and not our own. Right. Okay. That's it. Yeah. So to, did you, did everyone hear yeah. that? Basically, if God created us, then we believe. Well, I think the words you use were we believe His truth, not our own. And so the committee just that's actually very profound about... It's a profound statement about knowledge, basically. If God created, then he is the one who is the arbiter of truth. He knows what's true and what's false. Decides what's good and what's bad and so on. And that's not something we as creatures get to decide. That's given by the one who created. Yeah? Yeah. Which... Immediately, you can see, has huge practical implications for the way we think about how we decide what we do and what's right and wrong. Very good, yeah. So, if God created us, then we're not accident and we have a purpose. Right. So, we're not random bags of chemicals, atoms thrown together by chance over time, Uh, but actually, more fundamentally, there's some, there might be a purpose to life. Uh, there might be something outside of and bigger than us for which to live. Yeah, And, and of course, that's the, the great theme of art and literature, is the, and especially in the last 100, 150 years, is the angst over precisely that question. If there's no God, then maybe there isn't any purpose. And if there isn't any purpose, then what? Does no it matter what we do? And all these kind of questions that follow on from it. Yes, very good. Um, I think I was a bit
1: naughty
0: and I changed your head into why I'm being rebellious. So I put, why God created me, you
1: made me for this pleasure so I can go to
0: my Right. So that's taking that purpose, big picture purpose question. And, and making that much more personal and actually saying if God, when God made you then he didn't make you as an accident he made you individually for a purpose and therefore your life is to bring him pleasure. yeah, absolutely, very, very good yeah. this, this group here um, if God created us, then we're made for a relationship with him. right, right um, and I suppose the thing is that that you, that's absolutely true. It doesn't necessarily follow just from that statement, but from the, the creation account, it certainly does. Mm-hmm. God created us the way it's described in Genesis. We are absolutely made for relationship with him. Uh, he's not a distant God who retreat you, know, winds the whole thing up, sets it going, and then, you know, goes off and has sleep till the end of time. As someone who actually has made us for relationship with him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ladies? If God needs- Right. So you've taken the more the, the Little question. God made me, and and you feel compassionate, and therefore when you're caring for people, that's where you feel you are. You're living out God's image. You're living out who you're made to be in His image, and you feel His pleasure in doing. It. Yeah, very good. Um, That
1: we can use our strengths to honour Him no matter what
0: that is. Right. So if God created us and created us diversely and created us with all kinds of different gifts and abilities, personalities, temperaments, physiques, then whatever it is He's given us is that which we have been given in order to. Um, Honor him and glorify him, um, and that might relieve us from the the terrible angst of wishing that I was somebody else, or had somebody else's gifts, or someone else's body, or whatever it is. You know, this is who you are, and this is who God's made you to be, and that's the context, that's the arena in which you glorify him with what He's given you. Yeah, it's great. Well, they're liberating as well, actually. Actually. I heard that comment probably knowing a little bit about Facebook. I would, that also applies to people. John and I works with people with learning disabilities, yeah. for example. So you may not have all the gifts that are used to this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, something have mm-hmm. Do you want to say any more about that, Jack? Uh, no, I wasn't it's <laughs> mostly <laughs> <Especially> me, honest. But enough, it's a fun one. Oh, absolutely.
1: Let's keep going. We'll just go around and we <laughs>
0: keep around until dry up. <laughs> yeah. God created us, then He is more
1: powerful
0: Right. Did everyone hear that one? If God created us, He is more powerful than we are. And in one sense, that sounds like a terribly obvious thing to say, isn't it? But if you look at how we behave, how we behave in our culture, very often we behave as though we are God and we are above Him, judging His actions, looking down upon Him. Whereas if God is the Creator, then it's the other way around. We are accountable to Him we don't see over his shoulder we don't put ourselves above him that was the great mistake of Job's comforters in my own personal readings just come to the end of the book of Job uh, today where uh, God finally speaks and uh, says where were you when I created the earth and of course Job's answer is you know (laughs) okay Shut up! I should have kept my mouth shut. It's, it's more or less an answer, which is which is what you're saying that, that if he's God, then he's God, and we're not. Mm-hmm. And and uh, the biggest mistakes we make in life is when we assume that we are, or we try to be. Yeah. Good. Uh, we just Go on then. Sorry. Oh, you're j- right. Okay. Right, yeah, yeah. One. one more. But no, no, the last. No. That's okay. That's alright because it was that was good. It's, it's, it's excellent. Group in the middle again. Oh
1: no, wait
0: <laughs> <On a later laughs> oh, do, do, do. Well I'll say it for you then. If God created us then then things like bowels and bodily functions aren't good. Was that what you were gonna say? <laughs> yeah. Or how about, if God created you with a sense of humour, then God is the source of humour. Yeah. And there's actually a lot of humour in Scripture. And Jesus, in fact, indulges in toilet humour, as I delight in telling my wife, when he talks about, it's not what comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. Sorry, it's not what goes into your mouth, sorry. Here we go. <laughs> Let's get it right this time. It's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, he says. And then, it's interesting, through the Greek, much more graphic. It's just the stuff that goes in your mouth, that just goes into your belly, then out into the kludge, is more or less what he says. You know, and it's, it's been funny. It's stuff that comes out of your mouth that makes you unclean. The gossip and the slander. Anyway, there's lots of. Yeah. Anyway, my wife <laughs> would be giving me a row at this point for this. <laughs> but, but it's true. I mean, humour is an interesting one. Um, and it would be an interesting one to then take and say, well, if. Humour is something it's not a human invention. Then, how do we see humour being used in God honouring ways? And how do we see humour being twisted and used in ways that deface the image of God? That'd be a good discussion to have, actually. It mm-hmm. was a very interesting comment on the, the encounter with God, David, by mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, this scripture. You even just last week regarding the parts of Acts and Paul and Alex and Philippi. And he points out the writer who is actually called a sinclair, who was the most in the Church of Scotland here in Edinburgh. Um, he pointed out that when Paul came to Philippi the first converts were um, a Gentile, a uh,
1: prisoner, and uh, a woman. A slave, rather, and, and, and a woman. And of course, the other Adolf Hugh him like, thank you God that I am not
0: a Gentile, a slave, a woman. And these like, seven and three were the three
1: categories of people. The
0: first people are Jesus Christ Jesus Christ and Western Europe. Yeah. yeah And as you said well, that's called the sense of humour. Yeah. And the Bible's full of those kinds of things actually, it's, it's quite funny. Lots of puns and wordplay as well, lots of dad jokes. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll come to this group again. You ask many questions off the back of it, so if God created me, then why is there suffering in the world? So actually, it could become a, I guess, a question in terms of why are things the way they are? If yes. God created us. Okay. Absolutely, and and being able to answer that kind of question, or not least not answer it, but to discuss it intelligently, mm-hmm. is really important. If God created us, then why are we experiencing things the way that they are? Um. It's interesting, I think the problem of suffering is more of an intellectual problem for those who deny the existence of God because you have no basis, therefore. If it's not good and meant to be different to what it is, then why do we we object to it? Why do we have a problem with it at all? Um, It, it, in one sense, doesn't make sense. Um, That would be to get... I mean, exactly right. Because to ask that question... Is to then get in discussion it's about a whole lot of other, God, Co- is of other so questions. This is in my life. experience, and what's doing God in this experience? Yes, that's right. Su- suffering doesn't question the existence of God, it questions the character of God. That's a much bigger discussion to have. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not going to go too much into that. No, just no, I yeah, are you okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, ladies, again? Our caring, leader, our caring <laughs> table there.
1: We did only have one but then we've got to
0: we were thinking of about how God created wine, so How he created
1: God created wine so we've been interested Because yes. <laughs> I
0: think in, in the context of the Bible I think Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Well it's an interesting one. Did, did he create wine or did he, is wine a result of Human beings obeying that cultural mandate to go and steward the earth well, taking grapes and doing things with them. I think if you've ever done a whiskey distillery tour, the the process of <laughs> the process of distilling whiskey is so fabulously complex, I can only think it's a remnant of pre fall dominion. It, it, it's it's this is an expression. <laughs> 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 but, but seriously, if you think, it, but but if you if you think about the good stuff that God's put in creation and in how we use it, and you know and the Bible speaks positively of those things. So all joking aside, yes, you know uh, it would seem that the the, the the fall then means that there's the possibility for the abuse of all those good things as well, of course. But the abuse of something doesn't argue against the right use of it. That's the great philosophical error that we so frequently um, make. Sorry? Like it be That's right. Yes, it can be used to bless it. Can be mm-hmm. cursed. Absolutely. Yeah. Let um, give you guys the last word. Um, that we should rejoice a
1: bit like what comment was before about that we should enjoy who we are. So right. All so comparison chat.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that kind of comment takes us into a much wider idea as well. If God created me created us with different gifts, abilities and, and he gave us stewardship over this earth, then things that we do here matter. And the physical creation around us matters and how we build a building. I was just not something 'cause I've noticed it before, but all the the stained glass in these windows. And it's quite beautiful. I think it's probably it's what, arts and crafts here? Stained glass on all these windows around this building. I mean, they're, they're they're quite beautiful. They they reflect a particular style at a particular stage. So so this building must be what nineteen tens, nineteen oh one. it that first decade of twentieth century. Yeah. Um, and and that's the style. These are some of the styles that were were but They're actually quite beautiful, and that beauty is somebody made in the image of God, who's a creator who is a sub-creator made in the image of God expressing that creativity and we can praise God for, for that a nice bit of green glass and a little floral motifs the top. the point about that and making a fuss about it is to say that that's not unspiritual that's not something that doesn't matter this is the expression of people made in the image of God living in God's world and doing good things with the stuff that God made now, the person who made it may not have explicitly given glory to God for what he was doing or she was doing. And that's what the book of Romans at the very beginning of it actually challenges head on. People who worshipped the creative thing rather than the creator who didn't give glory where it was due. But we can give glory where it's due. We can thank God for that. We can thank God for the beauty and for that creativity. And it's not just in art, it's... Literature, music, a, a garden—the way a building's put together, uh, a kind word from somebody who cares—all of these things matter. What human beings do in this world matter, and the gospel applies to all of it. And that's sometimes where, as evangelicals, we have narrowed down the gospel to become a formula for forgiveness. And the gospel isn't a formula for forgiveness; it's a person who forgives us. And then it's our relationship with that person who renews and restores us. And restores everything about who we are. And that's good news. Because it applies to everything. Um, One of the great mistakes I made was in the early part of my medical career would be seeing my medical work as being somehow um, a distraction from the real business of life which was the spiritual stuff. And that was wrong. Because If God created me us and God in his image and God is a worker who worked for the six days and then rested, he made us to work as well. He gave us work to do. Work is a good thing, therefore. Whatever it is. It's one of the problems in our churches often then when we um, when what most people do Monday to Saturday it's little relevance to somebody and vice versa. That's a problem. Because if God created us, then it all matters. As we're going to see in a second or two, if Jesus redeems it all, it all matters. Do you Go not on, think, it's,
1: like I think it's important for us all, but maybe really, Andy, do you not think it's especially important for like, doing youth work, like that teaching young people to be able to identify like, their gift and how you don't have to be whatever you think you should be, but actually we I mean it's important for us all, but I think in terms of like when you're developing who you are as a person and you're teenaging so it's just I think it's even more important in that stage of your life than
0: so not not imagining that there's only one kind of person who's going to be suitable or acceptable. (laughs) (laughs) Because we see it would be another good exercise to do, to, to, to say what sort of... Well, actually, it really is more to do with the next part that we're going to talk about, where we're talking about being restored in Christ's image. And we could say, in our current culture, what sort of image are people aiming to be conformed to? What's the image that people think they're created to be? and it's going to be in this culture I've got some some great slides in another presentation which shows celebrities before and after photoshop (laughs) fascinating stuff because it illustrates the relentless propaganda and lies and shaping of people's expectations of normality so that instead of people saying God created me for a relationship with him that's enough actually Instead of that, people look in the mirror, they look at their friends and they say, well, she doesn't look like that picture in that magazine. The thing is that the woman in that picture in the magazine doesn't look like the woman in the picture in the magazine either, because it's so changed. But we've got a culture that's then shaping, it kind of touches like what we are saying, Lindsay, a culture that's shaping what people think they need to be in order to be acceptable, cool, liked, loved Whatever, mm. and, and, and this teaching about God creating is actually is again profoundly liberating from a lot of that. Yeah. Okay. Everyone okay so far? We could sometimes this exercise on if God made me, then it can go on for, go on for hours actually, and, and very fruitfully so as well. But there's other things that that we could say there. If God created me, us, then human life has inherent value. So, for example, in our culture, there was a massive push towards, say, physician-assisted suicide. And there is. It's just a relentless, relentless hammering on this same issue. The economic argument for killing off the elderly is, is, is watertight isn't it? The only reason for not doing it is because God created us in his image and therefore human beings, regardless of their economic productivity are inherently valuable. Yeah. The only way we can defend the dignity of human life is God created us. If you abandon that then what? And it's yeah, sorry I'm okay run on with this one a wee bit but it's interesting to look at the the judgment handed down at the Nuremberg trials after the Second World War where they particularly were um, they tried the the Nazi doctors and the conclusion was that the German medical profession in the 1930s by allowing an euthanasia program for people who were seen to be not worth the living that that euthanasia program led directly to the death camps. That was the judgment of the Nuremberg trials. And it starts off with not this, but rather um, a, a doctrine that says there's some life that's worth living and some that isn't worth living, and the most powerful are going to get to decide. So this this theology has profound consequences for the way we think about society and the way it works. Okay. And it's an ongoing process. Go on. So like I
1: think we think we've got it and then we learn more about God and more about ourselves and we are freed a little bit more. Right. And uh, so like for ex- so like for me last week hearing you talk um, was familiar, but it was also it reminded me of being a university student where I had Hungry so, to hear what well, the teachers hear the navigators and how you know you look to your leader and you hear what their, what their thoughts are and you think, oh man, if I could just retain some of that, if I could just have a little bit of that, and you set yourself almost up for a fall because you're kind of you know, like um, you're not quite appreciating who God created you to be as well because you kind of then think oh I've got to know these facts and the details and then last week when I heard like just listening to the teacher it was great like there was a little bit of freedom and processing going on in me and thinking Do you know I'm never going to be that person that remembers the names of people or the whatever all the facts and that doesn't matter because that's not who I was created to be. So I think, and I'm, not, I'm sure that will not be done the end of that process. When I get to 60, I'll probably be sitting 80. You know, I'll be discovering I'll be a wee bit more and God will release me from whatever confines of what I think I should be.
0: And, and what you're saying is it kind of takes us on into the next subject. Oh, hold on, hold on a second. To the next slide, which is more talk about how God is shaping and changing us. But if God created us, that he created a diversity of people with different gifts abilities, talents and so on and that means there are no little people mm-hmm. and there are no insignificant people there are no people who don't matter because they're not like you or not like Esther or you know every single person has an inherent worth and is given from God that gift of life of course, within the body of Christ, that's even more so the scripture teaches us that everybody is gifted diversely by the Holy Spirit to make a contribution to the whole. And we're not all an ear, or a nose, or a bottom, or whatever, but a body with different parts, So it needs all the parts doing what they need to do for the body to be healthy and to be whole, which is, I think, what you're saying. And you can know
1: that, but... You know, you're, you're, you're growing, growing into that reality. Process, isn't
0: it? Yeah. And, and part of growing is growing into being content not just in who God's made you, but in who God's making you to be. That's what Yeah. Content is a very great right, thing. <laughs> now, let's, the time left to us you think of the big tick diagram again for redemption? Think about God's redemption purposes. So using that word redemption, but the idea of what God's restoring and how he's going about it. Think about that for a second. Jane. Just think of a music play. About a minute and a half. Just indulge me for a minute and a half, okay? It's it's medieval and accompanied choral music. And the words mean Lord have mercy on us. Um But the thing about medieval choral music is the music itself expresses something true theologically. So as you listen to it, listen for the fact, and this is just to relate different cultural forms to that big biblical picture. That as long as we're living in that time between the fall and new creation, there's a tension And maybe every story that's been told, every film that's been filmed, is somewhere in that tension looking for a resolution. Looking for it to somehow resolve. For the tension to be dealt with. and and We look for for happy endings, or at least resolved endings. And think about it in music. In music you can hear that tension of something that, that, that needs to resolve. You're waiting for that chord to come, and then it comes, and then, ah, that's it. And so this piece of music just expresses that, or it's a little bit of this piece of music. You get that tension, and it gets more and more and more, and then, ah, new creation, redemption, it resolves. So the music's expressing exactly this picture. Does that make sense? listen And then resolution. Now you may not like it, but do you, do you, do you hear that tension, resolution? I actually hear that in all kinds of different music, and I just put that on because it's so obvious. But there's something in the way that it's created, that the world's created, and you hear that, you see it in movies all the great literature, the same themes running through all the time. This tension of this current nature. How it will it be redeemed? How it will it be changed? And the biblical answer to that is we're restored. We're restored in the image of God. It's a restoration of that image in which we're created. Um, I, I, I quite like this, uh, this picture. Um, I think it was... Francis Schaeffer, who described human beings as ruined masterpieces. There's still traces of the glory, but it's ruined. It sounds like a, a ruined statue or a ruined masterpiece. And what God's in the business of doing, what relationship with Christ does, is to then restore that back to it's original back to its its beauty. So I just want to put a few scriptures up there just to, to help us think through what some of the the ways the Bible talks about. So remember we're thinking of this big picture and helping us to then see some of those themes. I mean that tension resolution. The book of Judges, for example, finishes without the final chord. It just leaves you hanging. Because it says in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did what he thought, did what he thought, given his own eyes. No resolution. It just doesn't happen. It's like bad jazz, you know, that just kind of leaves you feeling edgy and uneasy. You long. There's something about the way we're maybe long for it. Here in Ephesians two eleven to fifteen, we have. Uh, there's lots of scripture passages we could go to. I've just chosen a few that the starting point for this restoration of the image is reconciliation. This passage tells us that, by nature, it says in the previous passage, we are are objects of wrath, enemies, we are alienated and estranged from God because of sin, because of this fall. This fall hasn't just broken and marred things and, and, and changed the way we treat creation. Fractured our relationship with God Himself and fractured our relationship with other human beings. This passage then says, You Gentiles, separated from Christ, alienated from God's people, covenants or promise, no hope without God in the world, but now, He says, in Christ Jesus, that is, in that relationship with Christ Jesus that He's talked about in the previous passage, in Christ. You who are far off have been brought near to his presence by the blood of Christ, that is by his sacrifice on the cross. For he is our peace. Um, who has made us both one, broken down his flesh, the divided all facility, abolition uh, all commandments expressed not so he may create in himself one new man, in place of the making peace. And we could go on in that passage. But the basic point of it Is that Jesus on the cross, by his sacrifice, reconciles human beings to God and to each other. And that that vertical and that horizontal reconciliation are inseparable. People who are reconciled to God, it will be evidenced in the way that they reconcile with other human beings. That if you love God, you will love others. If you don't love others because they love God. That's pretty much the way John explores it in the Gospel of John and in his letters. But that's the first point. It's just to say that it starts with reconciled relationship with God firstly. that spills out inevitably into relationships with others. The New Testament also then talks about Christ as being the image of God. So the image of God language we've seen in the Old Testament in the creation account it's taken up as Jesus Himself. Colossians one, for example, where it describes him being the image of the invisible God. Um, John chapter one would also describe Jesus as being the one who um, the word made flesh and dwells among us. And that to have seen Jesus is to have seen God as uh, seen the Father as Jesus Himself says in the Gospel of John. <laughs> and then in restoration in that relationship is renewal of the image of God. A couple of verses. Romans 8: Those whom before you he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. the already knew the firstborn among so That's a passage that goes on to talk about assurance of Christ's love and nothing in the whole of creation being able to separate people. Who are loved by Christ and held by Him. Nothing in the universe can separate them from His love if they're in Christ. 2 Corinthians 3: We with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, be transformed into the same image, for one degree of glory to Um, another. Sorry, that next slide. um, there's a couple of quotes from this guy. He's a dead Dutch theologian. He's probably the best kind of Dutch theologians, but um, anyway, he's, he um, that, that wasn't very fair, but uh, <laughs> he is nevertheless <laughs> a dead Dutch theologian. But what he says in a book called God's so he says some really good things, and he says them so well. I thought, will stick them up there. He says this: We must learn know what the image of God is by looking at Jesus Christ. What must therefore be at the centre of the image of God is not characteristics like the ability to reason or the ability to make decisions. But those are important things, right? But rather, that which was central in the life of Christ, love for God and love for man, if it's true Christ perfectly is God, then the heart of the image of God must be love. for no man ever loved as Christ loved. So we're beginning to see then that if we are restored in the image of Christ, as we look at him, what might that begin to look like? It's probably going to look like something to do with love, something relational. Colossians 3 is probably one of the key passages, and I'll just and read that, actually, in a bit more detail. Um, it's a passage that, that actually gives quite a bit, quite a lengthy description of what this restored image looks like. So if you look at um, verse 12, put on them as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and uh, compassionate hearts, actually literally there is bowels of compassion
1: to be strictly correct. You love talking about those don't you?
0: <laughs> Just what it says, Let's tell say. um, So, compassionate hearts. Um, but, no, I don't care. What do you feel more compassionate? It's, in the in, in way it's written, it's a kind of gutsy thing. It's visceral. We use the word visible. means the same thing. So, yeah, anyway, put on Holy and loving, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Meekness is, a, is, is a, an amazing quality. It's a quality of not asserting your own rights, but rather giving up your rights for the sake of others. It's that, that kind of lack of self-assertiveness, lack of, um, lack of self-centeredness, perhaps. Meekness and patience. Five things there. At the center of them is humility. Interesting. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Meekness, that word sometimes translated in some versions as gentleness. Bearing with one another. And if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, these two on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you call the one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell on you richly by teaching, by admonishing one another, and by singing with thankfulness to your hearts, and God. Now, all of that is a reflection of verse 10. Verse 9 10. That there's a different way of living for those who are reconciled to Christ. <coughs> because those who are reconciled to Christ, it says, have put off not the old self, but the old man the old humanity with all its brokenness and sin and all its habitual practices of inward curving put that off he says and put on the new man because they're now united to Jesus and united to Jesus they're being conformed to his image which is the image of God That's been restored in them they've put on that new man being renewed in knowledge after the its creator puts on uh, compassion, kindness humility, goodness does that make sense? so you see this restoration program that gives us this beautiful description of how relationships are beginning to be restored for those who are in Christ connected to this Christ remember that tick diagram it's going somewhere and that new creation reality zone bursts up into the present as people are united to the risen Jesus Christ. That's the argument that Paul advances in Romans 6. example. He says, look, well, you didn't just get your sins forgiven when you trusted in Christ. You're united with the whole Jesus. And this is a Jesus who didn't just die for your sins, but he rose again and defeated death. And because you're united to the Jesus who rose again, it means that you now walk, he says, in newness of life. In this compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Um And this is about creation restored, relationships restored. Again, who can ask a question about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so in, in that, is the image of God the pictures sure, you um, showed. of. Is it tarnished or is it lost? Um, Are we... Is it only in Christ that the image of God is restored or is there a sense of it being tarnished but almost renewed in Christ? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's significant, isn't it? Are that pass out on the street still made in the image of God? Well, I I, I would want to say very strongly, as strongly as I was capable, that... um, that, that people are made in the image of God and that image is marred but not completely lost. I mean again we just pointed to something like that glass there as an example, but you could point to the fact that you know it's patently not the case that only Christians have good marriages or can do kind things or compassionate things. The fact that people do kind and compassionate things is because they're made in God's image. And that image is not completely lost. I think it's an interesting exercise, a frightening exercise, to, to speculate, perhaps. Imagine what a world would look like where God was not restraining sin and where... He allowed the full extent of brokenness and sin to be expressed. In other words, there's so much that, in the midst of tragedy and, and brokenness and mess, there is nevertheless so many echoes of Eden, sure. <laughs> so many remembrances of that beauty. And that's, it's yeah. not gone. Yeah. yeah. And that's because even because Eden, so as a, as a, a church that's wanting to engage in culture, recognizing that there's good to be enhanced as well as wrong to be renewed, right? And there's good to be affirmed as well. It's very tempting for us to just look at the culture and just bash it. Um, let, let me give you an example of this. I'll just, I'll just blank this for a second. Uh, is this okay just to, 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 to expand on this? A bit? An example of this would be my relationship with my dad. There's, 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 there's a whole long story I can tell here. He died just over a year ago, 12, 15 months ago. or so. But a turning point in my relationship with my dad was several turning points. One was in my late 20s. My dad was very hostile to my Christian faith when I was in my early 20s. It was literally, if you leave medicine... To do Christian ministry, I will cut you off from the family. You will never see us again. A turning point was in my late twenties. My going to my father, having forgiven him, dealt with my own forgiveness. But going to him and asking his forgiveness because I had judged him harshly—it felt really unfair. Because he had never apologized to me for anything. He finally apologized to me for something actually six months before he died. He apologised to me for something he'd said 29 years previously. Interesting. The point about that was that I had to apologize to him because I had judged him harshly on lots of different fronts. But particularly, my dad was a self made businessman and at times spent money on it going out of fashion. And he sensed my condemnation of him. I just he sensed his son's disapproval <coughs> how does that feel as a father those of us who are fathers here to so be disapproved of by your children if you haven't felt it yet you will <laughs> 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 what changed it was for me some of this teaching that I heard from a man who's like a very dear friend it was me being able to go to my dad and affirm that his pursuit of stuff in his case it was objects of art and beautiful books and furniture or uh, whatever the perfect car was. But what it was in him was a pursuit of beauty. He loved beauty and he longed for perfection. He built a house, he said, I want this to be a 100 percent house. And he said it's a uh, see. But what I was able to do then, instead of just judging him, was to affirm that as a man made in God's image, the things he longed for were good things. Beauty and perfection. And that that, I was able to say to him, Dad, that's you made in God's image, wanting something that you can get little portraits of in this world, but you're not going to see it all in this world, not yet. You're always going to be disappointed. It led to us being able to discuss these things because I could affirm what was good. Sure, there was a whole pile of sin in it as well selfishness and, and greed and all those kind of things. But there was something about that that was an expression of God's image that I could affirm. And that became a bridge for us to actually have meaningful discussion. Same. Yeah, Does that exactly make sense? Yeah, <coughs> In terms of the possible towards culture, yes. actually making that assessment and recognizing where well, even the first first step could be affirming rather than condemning or judging yes. and actually that might be a way in as it was in that situation, absolutely and I'd also want to say that I think if you look through the whole scope of scripture, it's not mm-hmm. our job to judge, nor mm-hmm. it's simply not our job, does that mean we have to agree with everything that happens? Absolutely not no, it's our job to reflect God's kindness and goodness and his character in the way of the world that's our job mm-hmm so that, that presupposes a whole stance towards the world sure. which is quite different to how sometimes we've done it within the majority of churches mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's a great question I'm conscious we're kind of more or less at a time I'm really sorry to... I'll finish this slide, I think there's maybe only one after that anyway, is that ok? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. All right, then we'll, we'll wrap up and see any questions out. I don't sleep anyway so I'm happy to hang around I <laughs> <you know, laughs> I'm looking forward to a new body, a new creation. I'm looking to new body and new kidneys. I don't have any instructions. You're actually going to get a new body, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly. Exactly. Look at again. The renewal of the image of God, therefore, involves broad, comprehensive vision of the Christian view of man. You see, this is the big picture being brought into how we think of what salvation is. If sal- Christian salvation is not seen publicly as being me going with a bunch of stuff called I don't know, forgiveness or something and dumping it in and saying, go, that's your stuff. Christian salvation, that redemption, is seen as people being brought into relationships with the Father, Son, and the Spirit communion with the God of the universal self that transforms and restores individuals and communities and makes them beautiful in order to show who this God is and this day. that's the Christian picture, the biblical picture of salvation, and that's why a big picture matters so much comprehensive vision, Christian view of mind the process of sanctification that is this ongoing Transformation and change to become more and more the men and women that God's made us and redeemed us to be. It affects every aspect of man. Man's relationship to God, to others, and to the entire creation. I want to add a fourth category to that. Man's relationship to God, to himself, to others, and to the entire creation. The restoration of the image doesn't concern only religious piety in our sense for the church, but it's not that kind of stuff. Or witnessing to people about Christ. It does concern those things. Yes, it's not seen less than that. Or soul activities. In its fullest sense, this is the key phrase it involves the redirection of all of life. Think of the tick diagram again. It involves instead sense of someone moving in this direction towards the to fall, moving in that direction towards that new creation with all the beauty of the stored of things being restored to the way that they're supposed to be. I'm just going to skip this. And this is how we give time. But I'm just going to leave that and let you take that away with you. Dream about it. Dream about it for your church community, for your small group, for your family, for your personal relationships, for your marriage, your, your workplace. If God is redeeming me, redeeming us, Restoring, redirecting the whole of life, then what would that look like in my neighborhood? What would that look like in my church, in my small group, my workplace? If God's redeeming me as, would my garden look different? Would, <laughs> would the way that I set a table for a meal and the conversation I had look different? Would... The stuff I buy and where it comes from look different. I'll Do you see how this touches everything? And I it's exciting. No longer have you got just a little formula that can become a bit boring because you've heard it a million times before. You've got the comprehensive renewal of the whole of human life, patterned after the image of its creator. And that's just that. That is actually my final slide. God's big picture. People being reconciled to God and each other in Christ. People created into this new creation community. People who are created and redeemed to be a blessing to the world. That's what mission is. And people who demonstrate now the final reality that's coming. A foretaste of what's to come.